part of it. All right, Titus chapter 3, let's open with a word of prayer and we'll get into God's word. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. We ask you, Lord, now as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Lord, it's not the words of man, but the word of God that transforms lives. Lord, I pray for anybody who's new here today. I pray that they would feel welcomed and loved. I pray for anybody here that doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. Lord, give us the ears to hear what your spirit would say to us. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. So Titus, one of Paul's, we're going to finish it up, Lord willing, this morning, uh, the third of Paul's pastoral epistles. So Paul's writing to Pastor Titus. So a pastor writing to a pastor, telling him how to be a pastor. And that being said, though, it has applications for all of our lives. Even though it's written to pastors in, in a difficult situation, in a time with great resistance, uh, 2 Timothy, especially when he wrote that letter, Christians are being fed to lions, set on fire by Caesar Nero. And the exhortation was to continue to preach the word and continue to be faithful to the word of God. Now, the book of Titus, we've seen so far, the, he talked about the, the practice, the protection of the word. How do we protect sound doctrine? How do we protect the word? By raising up godly men to teach it and by calling out false teachers. And whenever you see a letter written by the Apostle Paul, it's always doctrine and then duty. What does it say? What does it mean? And then how do we apply it to our lives? What do we believe? Belief. And then how do we behave? And so the last two chapters we saw in chapter two, uh, the instructions for older godly men, older godly women, younger godly women, younger godly men. And then we saw last week, just the grace of God is to extend beyond salvation. That God's grace should be evident, not just in us becoming saved, being born again, new creations in Christ, but how we live our lives every single day. And now if you have the outline, grab it. Titus 3, the practicing of God's grace in the life of the believer. It's outward behavior that is a reflection of an inward change. You know, as Christians, we don't just get a get out of hell free card that we stick in our wallet and we go live like the world. We're to be in the world, but not of the world. The, wa the boat's in the water, but the water doesn't get in the boat. Can I get an amen? And so we're called to be salt and light. And as believers in Christ, we should be radically different than the world. We minister to the world. We have no fellowship with it. We love unbelievers. We want to see them saved. So here's the five points we're going to go over this morning. Uh, the first one, the practice of God's grace in the life of a believer, a willing submission to those in authority. We know there's an exception to this. We'll talk about it. But we know that all authority is given by God. So if it's your teacher at school, if it's your boss at home, if it's your husband in your household, if it's the government it's under certain circumstances, again, the pay your taxes, honor God, submit to authority. Number two, a kind and humble heart that never forgets who we once were and what we've been delivered from. The outward behavior, the practicing of God's grace in a life believer comes with a kind and humble heart. As Christians, we're new creations in Christ, and it should be evident in our behavior, in our speech, in our actions, and in our attitudes toward others. You know, it's amazing to me. I will meet people, and I will know often in a minute that they're saved just by their behavior. Matter of fact, one time I was in, you know, I was in India, and many of you know I've been to India seven times, and I go there to teach up to a thousand pastors at a time how to study and teach the Bible using only their Bible. And I was sitting in a hotel with another Calvary pastor from Oregon, and there's, and in the city we were in, the population of Christians is like one one hundredth of one percent. It's almost zero, mostly Hindu and Muslim. And I said to him, that gal at the counter is a believer. He goes, there's no way, bro. I said, she's a believer. I'm just telling you right now, she is. So we go to check in and she's filling our stuff out. And I said, you're a believer, aren't you? And she looked around. And she goes, how did you know? I said, it's so obvious. It's obvious. The Holy Spirit's coming out of you. Can I get an amen to that? She asked us to come back. And every night we would, we would be out teaching from six in the morning till midnight. And they'd be waiting at one in the morning with 50 staff people who were all Christians. And they had me teach till the sun came up. They were hungry for the word of God. By the way, they were on time. Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> just saying, just saying. So as Christians, we are new creations in Christ. It should be evident in our behavior. Number three, faith in God's grace and mercy, not our own good works. You can't be so good that you, that you don't need salvation. And you can't be so bad that you can't be saved. Can I get an amen to that? And your good works do not save you. But our good works are fruit that we've been saved. Amen? 
So don't make, works are not the source of salvation. They are the fruit of salvation. Number four, remaining focused and faithful in your calling. Timothy is, uh, Paul is telling Titus, don't lose sight of what you're called to do just because it's difficult. We talked about the, the place where he was a pastor, Crete. You'd still hear that term, Cretan. And it says that there were liars and there were fornicators and there you know, were gossips and slanderers. It talked about the people that he was pastoring and it was a very difficult place. And he was overseeing all the churches on the island of Crete. And in the midst of that, he told, the Lord told him, don't get discouraged, just keep teaching the Bible. Don't, don't allow what's going on around you to keep you from your calling. And that's a word for all of us. Don't allow COVID to keep you from your calling. Can I get an amen to that? Don't allow the things that are going on in your life or things going on in the world or the, the difficulties of life to keep you from being faithful to the calling that God is pointing you to. And when you be faithful to our calling and not lose sight and get off track, we'll talk about avoiding faith, uh, foolish disputes. And then finally, having a heart for people. You know, it's, not, it's no matter how many people God allows you to minister to, we must never be too busy to minister to the individual. If you call me and I don't answer my phone, I'm on the phone with somebody else or I'm on a sales call at work. Most of you guys know I have a full-time job. But I answer my phone. I answer my phone the other day at 2.30 in the morning. You answer the phone. Be available. Purpose to be available. Pray for divine appointments every day and look for an opportunity to share your faith. Be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit when you see someone broken down on the side of the road. I had this happen recently. Pulled over. Help these people. They just need to jump their car. We jumped their car. We talked for 20 minutes. And I said, man, I'm glad... I had your car break down so I could talk to you about Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? Look for divine appointments and opportunities every day to be used for the kingdom of God. The only thing we're taking to heaven with us is people. Amen. And people don't get in the way of the ministry. People are the ministry. Amen. So let's begin there in verse one of Titus chapter three. And again, this last, this third of the Pauline epistles, looking at the practicing of God's grace in the life of a believer. And the first thing we're going to see is a willing submission to those in authority. Verse one, remind them to be subject to their rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work. First of all, he says, remind them. Man, have you ever gone to a church where the guy like is really repetitive and always goes back and reviews what he said before and then tells you what he's going to tell you and then tells you and tells you what he told you? You ever been to a church like that? You have now if you're here today. Can I get an amen? <laughs> but being reminded is biblical. There's a reason why there's four gospels. Amen? Do we not need to be told again and again and again? Can I get an amen to that? I had a man one time who used to come up to me and go, why do you keep being so repetitive? I said, tell me what last, mes last week's message was. Give me the outline off the top of your head, and I won't repeat myself today. Go. Um, how, uh, what chapter will we in? How, how, uh, sit down. we got to go over this again. Can I get an amen? Because <laughs> the reality is we need to be reminded. We never arrive as Christians. We should always still be growing. Can I get an amen to that? That's why we need to be in the Word every day. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by... It's the word of God. And so we need to be in the word of God every day. So he says, remind them. Titus, go tell the, the people of Crete, the Christians in Crete, remind them. And then remind them what? To be subject to rulers and authorities. That's a tough one right about now. Can I get an amen? Paul instructed him to preach the word, to exhort, to invite, invoke, and implore in the previous chapter, and to rebuke false teachers. But now he's reminding them as well that we need to submit to authority. And again, I love the Greek word remind them is to go on reminding, to admonish. Uh, again, every time we come, we should be reminded again and again and again of the faithfulness of God. And again, it's good to be reminded. It says in First Chronicles, remember his covenant forever, the word which he commanded for a thousand generations. We must never lose sight. This wind is wreaking havoc on me up here a little bit, but it's okay. Blessed are the flexible. Can I get an Amen. So it says, be subject to the rulers. The word subject is willingly yielding to or to submit. You know, Christians, we need to be they an ungodly Crete or ungodly Southern California. We're to be willingly submit to those, understanding that all authority has been given by God. We submit to all authority without compromising your faith. And that's the, that's the credo there, okay? We submit until they tell us to compromise our faith, then we cease to submit. Can I get an amen to that? If the government outlaws church, we keep having church. Amen? 
And we're not going to stop because the Bible tells us to forsake not the gathering yourselves together and all the more as the day approaches. Now, that being said, submission, does anybody love to submit? Does that sound like something you want to do? No, we're, self, we're self, selfish, self-centered. We think of ourselves, my three favorite people, me, myself, and I, and we don't like to submit. We don't like to. That's why we got to learn to die to ourselves. It's our flesh that doesn't want to submit. Let me tell you where submission takes place. First, it starts in the home. Husbands are called to submit to their wives. I, eight wives just said, I'm leaving. But here's the reality. Submit to your wife. But you know what? It's easy to submit to a man who's submitted to Jesus. Can I get an amen? If your husband loves God, he's praying for you, he's serving you, he's providing you, he's spiritually leading you, it's easy for a godly woman to follow that man as that man follows Christ. Can I get an amen to that? Now, submission means you follow him even when he's not if you say, I'm only going to follow him when he's perfect, you'll never follow him. So you need to follow him. But parents also need to sub, uh, children to submit to their parents. So in your house, by the way, your kids don't need another friend. They need a mom and a dad. Can I get an amen? You're called to be the spiritual leader in your household. You're called to set the example. We do not have a democracy at my I got three boys in their 20s living in my house, and it's still, we don't vote on anything. Can I get an amen to that? I will look at your stuff. I will go in your room. I will open your mail. I will look at your phone and you better be at church on Sunday or you're looking for somewhere else to live. And I have no problem with that. Can I get an amen? As for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. I have parents of 15-year-olds when I was a youth pastor. Well, he doesn't want to come anymore. And? Do you make him go to math? Well, yeah, he needs math, but he doesn't need Jesus. Amen. So we set the tone, we set the rules, and there needs to be submission to authority in every aspect of our lives. How about the workplace? You know what? We should be such a blessing to our bosses that they want 100 more people just like us. Can I get an amen? Do your job in a way that honors God. You'll be a blessing to your boss. You'll be a blessing to your customers, like in my case, that I interact with. And guys, we are to submit to authority. And don't be a complainer. Don't be a whiner. Don't be a millennial. Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> be faithful to what God has called you to do and do it with the joy of the Lord. Amen? I love that my, everybody in my company calls me Pastor Dave. I'm accountable. I get it. And I told my, every time, I've had 22 bosses. I just figured this out. In 33 years, I'll be in May, I've had 22 bosses. They come and go. And I tell every boss the same thing. I promise you, I'll be the hardest worker on your team. I promise you, you'll never hear me complain about anything ever and hold me accountable to that. And I'm not saying there aren't things that could be complained about, but as believers, we're going to heaven. We don't need to complain about anything. Can I get an Amen. Let's do our job as unto the Lord. Let's honor the Lord. Let's make sure that he gets all the praise and the glory and the honor. Be available to minister to others. What about school? I used to tell my kids, if you don't do your homework, you're rebelling against God. Because God has called them to submit to their teachers and to do their schoolwork as unto the Lord. Amen? So it's important that we honor those in authority over us, over us in every aspect of life. Here comes the tough one. What about the government? April 15th's coming. Pay your taxes. Can I get an amen? I've had Christians tell me, well, I don't want to pay my taxes. Part of that money goes for X, Y, Z. That's true. But guess what? Jesus said, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Can I get an amen? Do we get taxed too much? Probably. Is God still in control? What's the answer? Does he promise to provide for us? Is he a faithful God? So let's just honor God by honoring the government. Now, when do we dis when do we disregard what the government says when the government tells us to deny God. Then we tell them no. Because the ultimate authority in our life is the Lord. Can I get an amen? The Lord is our authority. The Lord is the reason we live and move and breathe. So what laws must we listen to from the government? Again, the criminal laws. I don't think most of us have a problem with that. Somebody robs a bank, they should go to jail. Amen? Paying our taxes, Given to Caesar what is Caesar's. How about traffic laws? How are we doing? <laughs> Anybody here besides me ever go over the speed limit? Lines of sin. Can I get an amen? <laughs> when I was in Santa Cruz, the last ticket, well, last time I got pulled over, it's been a long time, it's been like 12 years or so. My, uh, I got pulled over by a high patrolman that went to my church. That was pretty sweet. 
I had all three of my boys in the car coming home from one of their football games, and I'm driving along, and I, I was talking to my boys, and I kind of missed my exit, so I kind of did this thing at the last second, and whoop, and I'm like, oh, wow, that's great. And I tap on the window, and hey, Pastor Dave, how you doing? <laughs> it's kind of embarrassing to get pulled over by someone in your own church when you're teaching them about being obedient to the law. Can I get an amen? But it's also pretty awesome when he's gracious and doesn't give you a ticket. <laughs> Because I started giving my license. He goes, uh, stop. There's no way I'm giving you a ticket. And I'm like, well, praise the Lord. <laughs> Thank you. Lesson in humility and grace, all in one shot. Amen. So we are, we, are, we are called to obey the rules of the land. Amen. Until they tell us to disobey what the word of God tell, says. Amen. And then it says to obey. And the word obey there, those in places of God-given authority, while we may all know that we are to obey the word of God, and that obedience is the highest form of worship, a recognizable part of the sanctification process is, again, obeying the laws and the authority that are placed there by the Lord. When you rebel, you're disobeying God. We need to be faithful and honor the Lord. When you disregard your boss's orders, you're rebelling against God. When you blow off on assignment given by your teacher, you're rebelling against God. When you ignore the speed limit, you're in sin. Can I get an Amen. And rebelling against God. Now, God's grace, again, the impact not only our eternal destination, but it should impact our outward behavior. Now, justification, grace is why we're saved, just as if we never sinned, right? We're being, we've been justified. When you gave your life to the Lord, you became a new creation in Christ. The Spirit went from living with you to living inside you. The Lord will never leave you nor forsake you. You have the promise of eternal life. But once you are justified, you're not done. Now you're being sanctified. You're being set apart unto the Lord until the day we get to heaven. And then and only then will we be glorified. Amen. So that we are works in progress. Anybody say amen to that besides me? We are works in progress, but we should be closer to the Lord next week than we were when we are today. We should be closer to the Lord next year than we were last year. Amen. And it should be a growing process that continues. And part of that growing process is a willingness and a heart of worship to obey and honor the Lord. Not to make excuses for our sin, but be broken by it. To be driven to our knees in a place of repentance. Christians living sanctified lives are the best workers, the best students, and the most law-abiding of all citizens. It says to be ready for every good work at the end of there, verse 1. This speaks of going beyond a passive obedience. The word ready means prepared for. You're prepared to be used by God. You wake up every morning saying, Lord... Use me today. Give me an opportunity today. Give me a divine appointment. You're ready. You're prepared. You're not just sitting back waiting for someone to hit you over the head and say, here's an opportunity to be used by God. You're looking for those divine appointments and those opportunities every day. You don't have to be urged or coaxed or persuaded to do what God has called you to do. You're ready and available to be used by the Lord. Only you can answer that question between you and the Lord. Do you wake up every day ready and available to be used by God? Do you wake up in the morning thinking about him and looking for an opportunity to be, to be used for his kingdom and for his glory? If not, can I encourage you to start your day that way? I start every morning and it's just something God put on my heart 25 years ago when going through the book of Samuel, how young Samuel, when he talks to uh, Eli, he says to him, well, you called me. No, I didn't. You called me. No, I didn't. He says, it's the Lord calling you. Next time he calls you, just say, yes, Lord, your servant hears. So when I wake up in the morning, I just say, yes, Lord. Because I want my, the first thing I think about is the Lord. Amen. That he's the first thing on my mind and the last thing that I think about. I, I pray without ceasing, the Bible says. Begin your day in prayer, and I just put God on speakerphone and never hang up. Can I get an amen to that? That while I'm driving, I'm talking to the Lord between sales calls. Just look for opportunities. Do you have, do you have intimate fellowship with God? Or do you go the entire day and realize you haven't spent five seconds with the Lord? He needs to be the priority and the passion of our life. Again, we need to be ready for every good work. God's grace is not only the source of salvation, but it's practiced with a willing heart to submit to those in authority, to obey both the Lord's word, the laws of the land, and to do good works. Again, doing good works produces divine appointments. It's amazing how simple that is and how many opportunities will come if we will simply look for it. Uh, last week, one of my customers was here and brought 16 people to our church. 
and drove an hour to get here. And, and it was just because we started talking about the Lord on a sales call and talking about fellowship and found out our church was open and drove out here and brought all the kids and grandkids. Guys, just look for an opportunity. Amen? The eyes of the Lord search to and fro among the whole earth, seeking one he can show himself strong on account, of, on account of, one whose heart is loyal to him. God's not looking for a better message or a better method or a better building or a better program. He's just looking for men and women who will say, here I am, Lord, use me. Amen? May we wake up and be those people. Let's be available for the kingdom of God. So point number one of the practicing of God's grace in the life of a believer, outward behavior that it, uh, reflects inward belief, a willing submission to those in authority. Number two, a kind and humble heart that never forgets what we've been delivered from. You hear me say it often. I'm just one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. Amen? We shouldn't be self-righteous and arrogant. We shouldn't act like we're better than anybody else. We're all sinners saved by grace. Amen? And when we bring someone to the word of God, or when we see someone falling away, we know that there before the grace of God goes us. And so when we bring them, we should be bringing them in all humility, recognizing and remembering what God has done for us. Look at verse two. It says, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. It's a clear contrast with the Cretan culture where the Cretans were liars and evil beasts and lazy gluttons and gossips. As Christians, we should be different than the world. Does the world speak evil of everyone? Just put on the news sometime or put on any station or look on your social feed. Can I get an amen to that? And everybody's bashing everybody else and there's always this attack. And you know what? As Christians, that shouldn't be us. He says to speak evil of no one. Our speech should be different. The Bible says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but that which is edifying for the hearer. I raised my kids with a credo and I used it in youth group and we should adopt it here. Prayer, praise, prayer, praise. Said it over and over. Pray for them. Somebody's, if you have to meet somebody, something's difficult, pray for them. If you can't pray for them, again, if you can't pray or praise God for what's happening, then keep it to yourself. Can I get an Amen. Or as I would say to my kids, take it to Shuddy Town. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Shut it. Prayer or praise, prayer or praise. Either something that is praiseworthy. If you can't praise them, then pray for them. Amen? And don't speak evil of them. We shouldn't be surprised when people who don't know God act like they don't know God. Amen? I'm transparent. My wife's not feeling well, so she's home watching on live stream. Forgive me later, babe. I love you. So here's the deal. She's got some women where she works at this public school that are kind of being rough with her and have been for weeks. So my wife just struggles with it because she does, you know, she said, what would you do? I said, I wouldn't care. But that's just how we, you know, guys are different. Amen. We just like, dude, get over yourself. But I don't, you know, but my wife has a heart and it breaks her heart. And she's trying to figure out why they're upset with her. And finally, I'm like, babe, none of them know the Lord. They know you're a pastor's wife. They don't like the way you vote, the things you believe, the things you talk about. You know, this is being persecuted just because you love the Lord. And I said, you're there because you love the kids. So just love on the kids and pray for them. And so that's what we're doing. Can I get an amen to that? Don't speak evil of them. We don't overcome evil with evil. We overcome evil with good. A soft answer turns away wrath. Amen. And we don't want to stoop to the level of someone who doesn't know God and start getting into an argument and blowing our testimony and an opportunity for the gospel. And again, people, dogs bark. Unbelievers act like unbelievers. Can I get an amen? And so we need to pray for them. Speak evil of no one. Our speech should be different. Prayer, praise. Pray for them. If you can't say something nice, pray for them. Amen? And again, as Christians, our, our speech should be seasoned with grace ever mindful that Jesus died for the one you're talking to. Remember that next time. When you're angry with somebody, just remind yourself, Jesus died for this person. Jesus loved this person so much, he'd rather die than live without him. Jesus left heaven and came to earth to pay for this person's sins. And you know what? Jesus loves that person. We need to love people the way the Lord does. Can I get an amen? I got, thanks, Tom. I'm glad somebody believes that. We need to love people the way the Lord does. Amen. So easy to lash out in anger and in bitterness. Evil speech includes slander, lying, gossip, or tearing down someone else's character. Boy, if we did that, politicians would all have to retire. 
What would they talk about? Can I get an amen? Because everybody's bashing everybody. Everybody's attacking everybody. We should be kind and loving. Notice it says there to be peaceable. The word means not divisive, not a brawler, not contentious, one who abstains from fighting. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Guys, we can arrogantly win an argument and at the same time drive people away from the Lord. We don't want to win arguments. We want to win people. We want people to come to know Jesus because we can, we can win arguments, but what does that prove? It says they're gentle, showing all humility to all men. Gentle actions are a reflection of a humble heart. The word gentle there literally is meekness. And sometimes that word seems really weak. Meek, that's a weak word. Gentle, that's weak. No, it's godly. And when you think of meek, don't think of a little mouse like the world portrays it. When I think of meekness, I think of those Clydesdale horses. Somebody, one of our horse people can probably tell me. I'm sure they got to weigh 1,000 pounds, maybe more. I don't know how much they weigh, but they're big animals. And you know what? They're meek because they're in the control of their master. See, meekness isn't weakness. It's, it's a strength that's under control of the master. Can I get an amen to that? And so we need to be under the control of our master. We need to be tools in the hands of our master. We need to bring glory and honor to our savior. It's a contrast to the aggression toward others, which was characterized by the Cretans. By the way, I would pray that never, nobody who, who calls on the name of Christ would be out rioting. Can I get an amen to that? Can I get an amen to that? We don't do that. We don't do that. You know what? If things don't go our way, we get on our knees and pray. And that rhymed. That was pretty good. <laughs> I was a poet, didn't know it. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Show humility to all men. When we have truly grasped God's grace and all that he's forgiven us for, we can only respond in humility. How many of you, how many of you deserve heaven? How many of us deserve hell? And we're going to heaven. Shouldn't that keep us humble, broken, and desperate before the Lord? Amen? Shouldn't that give us a constant heart of thanksgiving for what the Lord has done for us? Shouldn't it keep us in that place of recognizing the grace of God in our lives? It's good to re be reminded who we once were, lest we forget all they had, that we have been forgiven for and the extent of God's grace. He that's been forgiven much loves much. You know, it's amazing. Often it's the people that have been forgiven the most that recognize the grace of God the most. But we've all been forgiven much because we're all, here, you ready? You're all a bunch of stinking vile sinners. Can I get an amen to that? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and, we're, and you're a part of all. Amen? And because, while we were yet sinners, he knows you best, he loves you most, that ought to blow you away. What a great and awesome God we serve. Do you know that every other religion, first of all, they're all false and lies from the devil, but every other religion is based on good works. You are trying to earn heaven. You will never be good enough. You'll never deserve it. By the way, don't tell, don't tell anybody you want what you deserve because you don't want that. Can I get an amen to that? But who we are in Christ and what, God, what he has done for us is a reminder of his grace and his infinite love, and it should bring us to a place of humility. It says, look here, for we ourselves were also once... It's good to be reminded again of all that we once were, what we were delivered from, who we would still be today apart from God's grace. We're called to be different than the world. Here's what he says. We were once foolish. I was up in Santa Cruz the last couple of days. Uh, we had to say goodbye to my parents' house. And for most people, that's not a big deal, but it's, it's a huge deal in my family. And the reason it is, just a quick story, my mom, when she was a little girl during the Great Depression, she used to walk to school every day, and she walked by this house on a hill, and she would just love to stand and look at this house. And she'd been doing this for years, and one day she met the owner who was out front, and he started, she started telling him how it's the favorite house he's ever had. And so a few years later, she would walk by every day, he came down, and he gave her the plans to the house and said, maybe you'll grow up one day and you can build this house. Here's a copy of the plans, how to build this house. So my mom got the plans of this house as a young girl and carried them around forever. My dad was a pastor in Southern California. Then we started going to Calvary Costa Mesa when I was about eight years old, nine years old. And then my dad had, was a pastor, but got a secular job because we were starving. And uh, he ended up becoming the president of his company. And they told me we had to move to Northern California. My mom wanted no part of it. 
So we're in Orange County. We're going to Calvary Costa Mesa. We're not moving. And my dad said, how about if I build you that house? And he did 43 years ago. And that house was dedicated to the Lord. And I can't tell you the number of people have gotten saved in that house. Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz started in a Bible study in that house. My parents never locked the door to that house. Everyone was welcome. If you walked in the house, you'd get kissed on the face, you'd get a hug, and you'd smell something good coming from the kitchen, and you'd be treated like family. And for 43 years, literally hundreds of people have gotten saved in that house, including my wife. Praise God. Can I get an amen? And so there's a legacy there of honoring, honoring God. And now because of my mom's care, it's so expensive. We had to put the house on the market. So family, all, and it was the constant in our life. Even as our family moved to different places, it was the one place we'd all come to get, it was like Walton's Mountain. We all come back to the house and we would have Christmas there. We'd have Thanksgiving there. We'd have birthday parties there. And it wasn't the house. It was the joy and the laughter and the Holy Spirit being evident that made it such an awesome place. Amen. And it's a blessing. And it's a blessing to have to, to have that kind of a heritage and that kind of a legacy, amen? But the sad part is that we can fall into the trap of cease to being desperate for God. And like the Cretans, people here, uh, the Lord saved us. The Lord saved the Cretans. The Lord saved us. And we need to magnify his name. And we need to be thankful to be in his presence. We need to sing his praises. But the word foolish there means you're impressed with your own wisdom, if you're impressed with your own wisdom, you need to get over it. Can I get an amen? I am so glad that God is so great that I can't fully grasp how great he is because I'm not that smart. Can I get an amen? I am a finite man trying to grasp infinite God. I say this all the time. When we get to heaven, we are going to be blown away. Can I get an amen? He is great. No matter how great, I know, I know he's great. And I imagine the greatness of God. I promise you heaven, he's going to be so much greater than that. It's going to blow our minds. And again, we'll say, man, if I had known, I'd have prayed more. Can I get an amen? But we need not be impressed with our own wisdom and be ignorant of true wisdom. The picture of humanity apart from God's incredible grace is always focused on self. We were taking a lot of pictures up at the, we call it the blue house. We we're taking pictures up at the blue house and, and, uh, my, my, my uh, daughter-in-law said, let's take a I said, we don't do selfies, man. I only do selfies. We do ussies. Can I get an amen? Can I get the family in there? But are, are people, are we kind of in love with ourselves just a little bit in, this, in the culture we're in right now? I really don't care what you had for breakfast, by the way. I'm not that interested. <laughs> but you'll see 18 pictures of someone new hairdo from every direction. And we really don't care. Can I get an Amen. But we think people care about us. By the way, people are not thinking about you anywhere near as much as they think they're thinking about you. They're just not. Can I get an amen to that? You get discouraged and depressed. Oh, they're thinking about... No, they didn't think about you once. They're too busy thinking about themselves just like you are. Can I get an amen? You've heard me give the illustration. It one more time won't hurt you. I can prove you're all selfish and they're all self-centered. You ready? Everybody, half of you already know what it is. If I take a picture of everybody in the room, I put the pic, blow it up, put the picture on the wall. Whose picture do you look for first? I wonder how Pastor Dave looks. It said no one ever. Can I get an amen? <laughs> and that picture will be good or bad based on how you look. If we all look like models that fill out of a magazine and you're, oh, we got retake. <laughs> if you look good, everybody else looks goofy. You want it on the cover of the church bulletin. Can I get an Amen. So we are, it's foolish to be impressed with your own wisdom, to have the focus on yourself. Notice the word, not only foolish, but it says disobedient, knowing the rules and yet choosing to disobey. How many of you guys did that this week? You know what the word of God says, and then you choose to disobey. It's a conscious choice to disobey God. I believe that happens every time we sin. Because when we sin, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us if you're born again. Can I get an amen to that? And when you get ready to do something, does the Holy Spirit not already convicting you as you're headed to do something you shouldn't do, or about to say something you shouldn't say, or about to look at something you shouldn't look at, or about to watch something that's inappropriate? Isn't the Holy Spirit already convicting you? What's the answer? He is. But you run through the stop sign and do it anyway. And he's exhorting him here that we ourselves are also once foolish and disobedient. Notice it says deceived. The word in Greek means led astray, away from the truth in the right way. We were once lost, but now we're found. Amen? 
We were once blind, but now we see. And before we knew the Lord, we were wandering in the wrong direction. That's why the word repent means to turn around. We're heading the wrong direction. It's a change of mind, a change of heart to turn our lives back over to the Lord. Before we knew the Lord, we were deceived. And again, when you talk to somebody who doesn't know the Lord, just remember they're deceived. Don't be arrogant about that. I have a broken heart for that. Amen. This poor person's deceived. They don't understand. Let me pray for them. I want to see them come to know the Lord. It says they're serving various lusts and pleasures. The word serving is a slave to the lust of the flesh. If your flesh is driving your life, it's time to repent. Amen. We battle between the spirit and the flesh every day. When I was a youth pastor, I used to talk about the fleshly tiger and the spiritual tiger. Chris Hamilton knows this. And I used to say, which one wins the battle? The one you feed the most. Amen? If you spend time feeding the spirit, spend time in the word, spend time in prayer, you can live a victorious Christian life. But if you're spending time just feeding your flesh and its desires all day, the spiritual tiger is going to get whipped every day. Can I get an amen to that? It is a, we thought, the Bible tells us that, that we're in this daily battle between the spirit and the flesh, pursuing the flesh and its desires instead of pursuing the Lord and his will. Notice that living in malice and envy. Malice is to hate with an intent of doing harm. The world becoming more and more fierce. Malice is where you hate somebody to the point where you want to do them harm. We were talking, we were, I was at the dinner table with my family up, up north, and there was a man who had attempted to uh, molest my sister when she was young. Didn't happen, but he tried to. Got her cornered in our garage. And then not long after that, he was driving his motorcycle. He took a wrong turn and went head on into a semi and died. And my sister told me at the time, I was glad. Because, and you understand that, right? Malice is, I hate you so much, I hope you drop dead. I hate you so much. I, I, now, in this case, okay, God may have brought righteous judgment. I don't know. But the reality is that malice can come, and we can get so fired up about, and usually it's something that isn't that significant. Can I get an amen to that? To where we, we, we begin to have hatred towards people. Do you think the people in different p- political realms right now love each other? Are they content with each other? Or do they hate each other with a fierceness is, for the most part? Can I get an amen to that? Guys, that should not be so amongst us. Amen? We're called to be different. The word envy is more than jealousy. It's not only, not only do I want that, but if I can't have it, I don't want anyone else to have it. That's envy. Envy is, I want it, I'm jealous that you have it, and I want to have it, and then I want to have it, and I want nobody else to have it. If there's two of them, I want both of them. That's envy. And it's sad that we live in a time right now that we judge each other based on the car we drive or the house we live in or the clothes we wear. And it's just, it's ridiculous. The Bible says man looks on the outward appearance and God looks on the heart. Amen? And it's who we are in here that matters above everything else. Then it says hateful and hating one another. No brotherly love, no affection for others. Uh, This is the people we once were without Christ, constantly in a place of ill will towards others with contentions and strife and bitterness and anger. And why, why we as Christians must be mild and gentle toward those who are evil, because you don't overcome evil with evil, and a soft answer turns away wrath. I shared this with you before. Uh, it's funny because I drove by my old office and took some pictures when I was up in San Jose. And I remember cutting a guy off in traffic because I came around the corner, didn't see him, he was in my blind spot. And he got up at the light. And I mean, he was ready to throw blows. He was screaming at me. And my first initial, I'm being transparent, my first, and I was still pretty yoked back then. Not anymore. But I, I was like, dude, you don't want none of this. You know what I mean? You know that mentality we have? <laughs> I mean, yeah, have you ever tried picking up your teeth with a broken arm? You know, that mentality? Yeah, young men don't do that, right? You know, young man's pride is in his strength. But by the grace of God, immediately I was convicted. Those words didn't come out. I rolled my window down. He was getting out of his car. He was screaming. I go, hey, bro, I'm sorry. I didn't see your car. That was 100% of my fault. Will you please, please forgive me? You know what happened? He said, yeah, bro, don't worry about it. And got back in his car. <laughs> A soft answer turns away wrath. Amen? And even if the guy continues, you be faithful 
to be kind, be loving, be gracious, be different than the world. We shouldn't be surprised when unbelievers act like they don't know God, but we should be surprised when Christians do. God's grace should produce in us a kind and gentle heart of humility that never forgets where we've been, what we've been delivered from, and that none of us are beyond saving. Just remember that Jesus took a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus, who was the number one enemy of Christianity, and turned him into the Apostle Paul. No one is beyond salvation. Think about that when you're praying. Can I get an amen? No one's too hard. There's no place too difficult by the grace of God. I was once that. I'm not anymore by the grace of God. If your life's been transformed by God's grace, you need to share this powerful truth with those who are still lost. They all can change today. No matter how hard their heart is in Crete, no matter how their heart is in Southern California, and no matter how hard their hearts may be in Washington, D.C. Can I get an amen to that? We need to pray for people, pray for their salvation. And again, the Cretans became Christians, and so too can anybody who walks on this planet today. Point number three of practicing the grace of God in the life of a believer Faith in God's grace and mercy, not our good works. Look at verse four. But when the kindness of but when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward men appeared, when we left, when we were in the place of foolishness and disobedience and deception and lust and envy and hatred, we didn't rescue ourselves, God showed up. And maybe some of you remember in your life when God showed up how your life was headed in the wrong direction and God by his grace showed up. The apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus is on his horse riding or his donkey, whatever he's riding on the way to go persecute Christians. He gets knocked off his horse. God gets his attention and his life changes. Guys, praise God that he showed up in your life and in mine. Can I get an amen? I'm thankful that he showed up and he loved us enough to do what it took to get our attention and to bring us to a place where we cried out to him with a heart of repentance. He's reminding them and telling them to remember the faith in God's grace and mercy. These are the things that should be evident in the life of a born-again believer. The love of God may manifest in his son. And he sent his son. God demonstrated his own love toward us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The love of God is not some abstract theory, but was revealed practically through the acts of his son and our savior, Jesus Christ. So too, our faith in the love of God in our lives must go beyond theory and be lived out practically every single day. As Christians, we should be different. You're born again. You're a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. All things have become new, and we should be different than the world around us. Our faith is in God's, God's grace as it was manifested in his son. Notice it says here, it's got the kindness God showed up, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. We didn't earn it. We don't deserve it, but God gave it to us anyway. Our very best, our righteousness is not good enough. The Bible says that our good works are as filthy rags. The best we've done are as filthy rags in the eyes of the Lord. I don't like that. That hurt my self-esteem. Well, you know what? You esteem yourself too much and get over it. Can I get an amen to that? The Bible doesn't say esteem self. It says deny self. We live in a world today that says, I have a self-esteem problem. No, we all do. We have too much of it. Amen? When we esteem only him, we're to esteem him, his grace, his mercy, his sacrifice. He saved us. It's not our good works. It's his great grace. And we need to be reminded of that every single day. According to his mercy, he saves us. Belief in Christ is the only path to salvation. You can't light enough candles. You can't crawl through enough glass. You can't observe enough rituals. You can't be religious enough to get saved. Salvation only comes through Jesus Christ, him crucified and risen from the dead. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Salvation can come under no other name than the name that is above all names, the name of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen to that? He is our Savior. He is the one who redeems us. He alone can forgive us. He alone can take our sins upon himself. He alone was the lamb of God that was slain before the foundation of the world. He alone is the creator of all things. And isn't it good to know that he can be your best friend if you will but surrender your life to him? Amen? I love the Lord above anything else. I was being interviewed at work uh, not long ago, and I love when they do this. Tell me what's created your success. 
It's not what they want to hear, but they get it every time. Can I get an amen? Oh, it's my hard work and my discipline and all. Me, 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 me. No, no, it's him, 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 him. Can I get an amen? That's where hymns came from. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Giving to charity won't save you. Trying to be a good person won't save you. No matter how many good works we do or rituals we observe, we cannot save ourselves. In and of themselves, let me just say this. In and of themselves, by themselves, most of these are good things. An altar call won't save you by itself. Praying the sinner's prayer by itself. Baptism, church attendance, giving, even reading your Bible, all works of righteousness, but in and of themselves can't save you. Those are all good things. Those should be evidences in, your, in the life of a believer. But don't put your faith in how much time you read the Bible. You put your faith in Jesus Christ, amen? And his redeeming work on the cross of Calvary. No one loves the Bible. I love the Bible. The Bible rocks, but Jesus saved me, amen? We don't worship the Bible. We worship the, the, the one that the Bible tells us about. According to his mercy, mercy is a gift word. It's not a works word. Salvation is not earned. It would be a paycheck. It's a gift. It was freely given and we don't deserve it. Notice how it was given to us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. The word regeneration there means to be again, it means again birth, to be birthed again, a new birth, being born again. Your sins are washed away. It says in 2 Corinthians, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Here's something that happens in Christianity a lot that needs to stop. We blame our past for the reason why we can't honor God today. But you're a new creation in Christ and old things have passed away. And that person you were is dead. Can I get an amen to that? And now who you are, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You're a new creation in Christ. And the Holy Spirit lives in you. He not only convicts you, but he comforts you and he gives you the ability to walk in faithful obedience to the word of God, to understand what the word of God says. And what the enemy wants to do is remind you of your past. And if you keep looking back, you're not going to be faithful going forward. Amen. Remember that without which is behind you has been forgiven and you're a new creation in Christ. It says the renewing of the Holy Spirit. You've heard me say this, the Holy Spirit's one of three places with everybody in this room. He's either with you, in you, or upon you. It's in the Bible. With. He's with everybody. They call him their conscience. Every time someone says, well, my conscience won't let me do that. Well, since there's no good in you, we know that's not your conscience. We know that's the Holy Spirit convicting us even before we're saved. Can I get an amen to that? Without the Holy Spirit, there is no right and wrong. The Holy Spirit is the one who defines it and helps even the unbeliever understand that certain things. I do prison ministries and prison ministry for years. And even guys who killed 10 people would know that harming a child is wrong. How do they know? That's the Holy Spirit. Because there's no good in me apart from him. Amen? But when we're born again, he goes from being with you to being in you. And now he'll never leave you nor forsake you. And he, you take him with you everywhere you go. And he convicts you when you sin. And he comforts you when you need it. But the Bible talks about within, but also upon. Remember that in the, the apostles in, in Luke, the Lord told them, go away. The Holy, I breathe the Spirit in them. And he said, go and wait, and the Holy Spirit shall come upon you. And in the book of Acts, we know that's what happened. The Holy Spirit fell upon them. And the same guys who ran away, scared to death when Jesus was being crucified, the same Peter who denied the Lord and cursed and said he didn't know him, after the Holy Spirit fell upon him, he led 3,000 people to the Lord in a single day. Some of those very same people he was afraid of. Guys, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you become different. Can I get an amen? There's a boldness, there's a, a strength, there's the ability to obey and to honor the Lord. Guys, we shouldn't be satisfied with the Holy Spirit with us, certainly. We want the Holy Spirit in us, but as believers, I pray every day, Lord, fill me afresh with the Holy Spirit, amen? Some people struggle with that. My dad used to say, call it the baptism of the Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. So whatever you want to call it, just get it. Can I get an amen to that? And why do we pray again? Because we leak, Amen. We need to be filled afresh again to overflowing, renewing of the Holy Spirit. The word renewed means to renovate, to completely change for the better. God, God didn't just, you know, throw some makeup on us. He took what we were, what was dead, and he gave it life. And that's who we are in him. He empowers us by his Holy Spirit. Verse 
verse 6, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. As the Father sent the Son, so the Son pours out the Spirit. Have you ever thought about this? So the Father sent the Son to suffer and die in our place we might have eternal life. And when the Son went away, he sent the Holy Spirit. Because guys, we can't do this on our own. Amen? The Father sent the Son so that our sins could be forgiven, and now he sends the Spirit so that we can be convicted of our sin, be born again, and walk in newness of life. Guys, without him, we can do nothing. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Jesus said, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endured with power from on high. The word power is dunamis. We get the word dynamic or dynamite, and praise God for it. The Holy Spirit poured out upon us is abundantly, comes abundantly through our Savior, Jesus Christ. No matter where we are, what our circumstances may be, what, what we are, whether we're country or city or church, uh, you know, even victims of the church, things that happen to us in church that we don't understand, God can redeem that. God is a great, he's a great and awesome God. We're not to look at our lives in light of our past struggles or surrounding circumstances, but through the power of the Holy Spirit being poured out upon us. He can deliver you, whatever you're going through right now. I know there's people, I know people have lost their jobs because of COVID. I know there's people here that have health issues, underlying health health issues, and you've got some fear about getting COVID. I know that a lot of people, it's been a difficult year for a lot of people for a lot of reasons. We need to remember that in the midst of our circumstances, our God is greater. Don't keep your eyes on the waves, keep your eyes on the Lord, amen? Is he in control? What's the answer? Does he know everything? Is he faithful, God? Yes, he is. Verse seven, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Justified, to render righteous, to declare one to be just and righteous. Uh, I've had people, when they don't like me, say, what are you, some kind of holy Joe? And I go, well, actually, I'm a holy Dave because I've been justified by Christ. Can I get an amen? We are holy. Amen? We've been redeemed. We've been forgiven. We've been washed white as snow. We've been justified by his grace, again, just as if I never sinned. It comes by his grace. We've been declared righteous G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. But notice we become heirs. Heirs of what? Heirs to the hope of eternal life. When my dad went to heaven four years ago, three and a half years ago, I became the power of attorney over the house that we're selling now. And so there's heirs to the house. But, and all that money is going to be used for my mom's care until she goes to heaven. But you know what's better than being heir to anything this world has to offer? We have, we're heirs of eternal life. Do you know you have eternal life right now? Can I get an amen to that? It doesn't start when you die. You have it now. You're a new creation in Christ. You're born again. And again, we have nothing to fear. By his grace, we are heirs of the heavenly and internal inheritance, and I can't wait for heaven. I'm looking forward to it. But I pray when he comes back, he finds us busy. Verse 8, this is a faithful saying, and these things I want to affirm constantly, that those who, are, who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. So while works don't save us, good works are fruit that we've been saved. The fact that there, are, there should be good works. Faith, it's not faith or works or faith plus works. It's faith that works. Amen? Because of the faith we have in the Lord, the good works are a natural outpouring. An apple tree just produces apples. And a Christian should produce Christ-likeness. Amen? Because we walk with the Lord. These things I want to affirm want you to affirm constantly. This is a faithful saying. I want you to confirm this constantly. These are the things that, that those who believed in God to maintain good works. Good works are profitable for us and they bring glory and honor to the name of the Lord. And again, it's a lie still being told in a lot of churches today that God's word is too restrictive. There are a lot of churches today denying the word of God and they're making the culture define marriage, the culture define right and wrong, the culture define. Driving through Santa Cruz, where I used to pastor, I saw eight churches and every one of them had a LBG flag out in the front. Every one of them. Why? Because they think they're affirming. They think they're being loving and being kind, confirming sinful behavior. Guys, we need to love people enough to confront them in their sin and do it in love. Can I get an amen to that? And Lord, help us to honor him 
Paul, the pastor Titus, your purpose is to affirm constantly the word of God and the truth of the gospel. Final two points, remaining focused and faithful in your calling. Look at verse nine. But avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and useless. Boy, we need this verse today. Do people get wound up and fight over non-essentials within the church? What's the answer? Especially online. I don't know what, online makes people brave somehow. Isn't that true? They'll say things they'd never say to you in person. I've had people say things about me and I go confront them and all of a sudden they're, they're not quite that brave anymore. But here's the reality. The word there for foolish is moral. So it's where we get moron. Don't be a moron. Don't avoid moronic disputes. Foolish and godless disputes that need not get involved in foolish arguments over non-essentials. I was at, when I was in India, one of the times I was there during Diwali, which is the high Hindu holiday. They have all their idols out in the street. And like every 10 steps, there's a shrine to an idol. And I met one of the rare believers and all he wanted to do was debate me about the proper method to baptize. And he kept coming to my room. No, no, see, you got to baptize them forward and only in the name of Jesus, not the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. It's got to be only in the name of Jesus. You have to ba- Bro, there's no verse for that. Stop it. How many people did you walk by worshiping Lakshmi on the way to work to debate me about something that won't matter in heaven? Can I get an amen to that? We can be so involved fighting with other Christians about things that ultimately have nothing to do with eternity that we're walking by unbelievers to have that argument. And he's saying, don't do that. Don't get caught up in winning arguments. Also, genealogy. A lot of people put their faith in their genealogy. Look, is God pro-Israel? What's the answer? Does God love the Jewish people? What's the answer? I'm pro-Israel and I'm pro-Jewish people because God is. But I, have, I had a friend who, has, who spent thousands of dollars trying to find somewhere down his line by taking all these tests and all this stuff in his because he wanted to find out if he could find out if he's even one one hundredth of a percent Jewish because somehow that would make things better. I said, bro, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, nor barbarian nor Scythian. We're all one in Christ. Can I get an amen to that? Well, my great grandmother was a missionary. Well, good for her, not so much for you. Can I get an Amen. <laughs> The people, they, introduce, they find out you're a pastor and they want to give you whatever religious thing they got tied up somewhere to someone that's going to impress you. You're going to, you know, like you're going to get to heaven and go, yeah, Lord, I'm one, I'm one 175th Jewish. I'm actually from the tribe of Judah. We're in the same tribe, bro. Come on, hook me up. No, no. Vain genealogies. Trying to use your history to somehow impress God or fighting over the lineage and the tribe and the priestly line, though their genealogy, thought that their genealogy somehow made them more spiritual. Genealogies are of no value. God's not impressed with your heritage. Uh, when we stand before the Lord on Judgment Day, what have you done with God's son? Nothing else is going to matter. Since contentions, those are quarrels and wranglings and deba- debates and strife. Christians are to not be contentious, but peaceable. I'm tired of... I'm tired of all the arguments. Can I get an amen to that? I'm tired of all the political arguments. I'm tired of all of it. Pray for the president. Pray for our country and go tell people about Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? That's what matters ultimately on judgment day. By the way, is God in control of, of the government? What's the answer? Trust him. Our hope is not in the White House. Our hope is in the throne of grace. Amen? This is all going to perish. It's all going to burn. Strivings about the law, attempting to make the Old Testament law a requirement for salvation. This is legalism. When someone tells you, oh, yeah, Jesus, but you got to do this. Now, in those days, you got to be circumcised or you, you, know, you got to keep the Sabbath. Uh, we met at a, a seven-day Adventist school for 10 years in Santa Cruz, and their guys would always jump on me. You're reading on the wrong day, but you're taking our rent on Sunday, aren't you? Can I get an amen? But, but the Bible says, let every day be alike. Let each man be convinced in his own mind. Can we wish for God any day we want? What's the answer? And we don't hold on to that. Amen. And if you do, that's okay. That's between you and the Lord. But when you make that a prerequisite for my salvation, that's legalism. Again, the Sabbath, by the way, they turned that into a day. It was supposed to be a day of blessing. They made it a day of burdens. They made people, you had to take out your wooden teeth because they said you're carrying too much weight. So the guy, you know, you can't eat on the Sabbath now. If you had a wooden leg, you got to take that off. You're not allowed to bathe because if water spills out of the basin and it hits the floor, that's washing. So you got a bunch of people who smell bad limping around with no teeth on the Sabbath day. <laughs> it's no good. 
And they turn it into a burden. And that's what a lot of people do with our relationship with the Lord. Come to Jesus, and now we're going to throw 5,000 pounds of burden on you. You know, Christianity is a black robe with a wheelbarrow full of rules. Oh, hit myself with a board every eight steps to prove I love God. And there, that's what every religion out there is. Oh, I must keep the law. I've told you this. I pulled into a sales call in the late 90s, and this guy saw my Christian fish on my car, and he was a Jewish guy. And he looked at me, and he said, oh, you're a Christian. I said, yeah. Please don't be offended. He said it, just repeating it. He said, you know that Jesus is a bastard and his mother is a whore, right? Oh, okay. So I guess that's the conversation we're having today. Wow. Okay. Wow. And I said, so what, who are you? He goes, well, I'm Jewish. I said, okay, well, so is my savior. Oh, blah, blah, blah. And I said, how many, law, how many laws you got to keep? There are 262. I said, how are you doing on that? I know 10 of them. You're not keeping those. You just took the name, the name of the Lord in vain just now. Can I get an amen to that? And it's sad when people are under the burden of trying to be good enough to earn it. Aren't you glad that we've been forgiven? Aren't you glad that the price has been paid? Aren't you glad that Jesus paid it all? Amen? And it's so tragic. It's so tragic with contentions and strivings and fighting with other, you know, most of those guys who fight like that aren't believers anyway, but it's so tragic. It says, for they are unprofitable and useless. Those disputes are a waste of time. I get emails all the time. Here's what happens. Someone will call me. Oh, I got something you got to read, Pastor. You got to read this. They send me 132 page something. Praise God for the delete button. Can I get an amen? <laughs> if someone's getting after you about nonsense, just send me an email. Go ahead. I got a delete button. Just go ahead and send me. I don't have time for that. You know what I'm doing? I'm studying this. Can I get an amen? And I'm, I'll get that later. And I'm loving, <laughs> and I'm loving on people. And we're, we, want to, we want to preach the gospel. I don't want to have an argument with somebody about a secondary issue that has nothing to do with eternity. Can I get an Amen. No, look, there is a time where iron sharpens iron. And if you have a question about the scripture, we can get together and talk about it and learn. Amen. But most people that are doing that don't want to learn. They just want to teach you. And he's saying, look, it's vain. It's a waste of time. It's a vain dispute. It says, reject the device of man. Look what it says there. We're finishing up. After first and second admonition, knowing that such a person is warped. Did you know this in the Bible? is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. The word warped there is twisted. What it's saying is, if somebody is trying to be divisive and they're bringing disputes, warn them once. And they continue, warn them again. After that, literally, you tell them they're not welcome in your church anymore. Because guys, we're not here to, to make our point about an issue that is non-eternal and cause arguments and disputes and divide the church. What we're coming here to do, this place is not a police station, it's a hospital. Can I get an amen? And we all come here to be healed and to grow in our relationship with the Lord and not stir up division amongst God's people. We don't enjoy dealing with divisive people, but sometimes you have to. Final point, verses 12 to 15, it says they're having a heart for people. And I love how he ends his letters. Paul always, Paul loves people and he remembers people's names and he has a heart to to reach out to people. And he says here, when I sent Artemis to you or Tychicus, be diligent to come to me and, and Apopolis, Apopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Send Zenos, the lawyer. You didn't know there were any Christian lawyers, did you? There's one. I'm kidding. <laughs> we got a great Christian lawyer here, right, Garrett? But the reality is, and we need Christian lawyers. Can I get an amen to that? It says there, and... Apollos with a journey with haste that they may, may lack nothing. And, and let our people also learn to maintain good works, to meet urgent needs that they may not be unfruitful. Also, all who are with me greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Amen. You know, as Paul is away from other believers, he has a heart for them and he remembers them. One of the great things about going back to Santa Cruz, I, I, I meet people that I was their pastor for 10 years, and it's like I, I've, I saw them five minutes ago. When you have Jesus in common, you got everything in common. Can I get an amen to that? And it's amazing that bond that God gives us. And as Paul ends his letters, he's always greeting the people that are there and letting them know how he feels about them. And as believers, we should do the same.
Tychicus was one of Paul's closest friends and helpers. He traveled with him. Zenos was, a, again, a man that was a legal man. Apollos was a learned Jew, mighty in the scriptures, who became a Christian teacher, discipled by Priscilla and Aquila. And Paul reiterates one of the main purposes of this letter was to exhort the church to be faithful and fruitful. See, at the end, that's been his entire point. I know things are difficult. Be faithful. I know, I know that there's sin all around you. Be faithful. I know that the people want nothing to do with God. Be faithful. I know you're facing persecution for telling others about the Lord. You be faithful anyway. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Amen? So the practice of God's grace in the life of a believer, a willing submission to those in authority. Help us, Lord. A kind and humble heart that never forgets who we once were and what we've been delivered from. Never forget who we once were apart from Christ. Faith in God's grace and mercy, not your good works. Any good that comes from you is in spite of you, not because of you, and to God be all the glory. Amen? Number four, remaining focused and faithful in your calling. Whatever God's called you to do, maybe you've lost your way during COVID. Maybe you've gotten distracted. Can I encourage you? Get back to doing what God's called you to do. Amen? When this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. And finally, have a heart for people. Care enough about people to love them unconditionally. Care enough about people to pray for divine appointments. And care enough about people to not be focused on winning an argument, but winning them to the Lord. Amen? Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. I thank you for everyone's patience today. We ask, Lord, help us to be the men and women of God you've called us to be. Help us to be a people who rest in your grace and recognize that any good that comes from us is only because of you. Lord, help us to love people the way you love them. Help us to see people the way you see them. Help us to live lives that bear fruit and good works that can only come by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, be glorified in our lives. We ask these things in your holy and precious name we pray. And all God's people said...